This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey, Lion Chasers, this is Eric Nordoff, and you're listening to another episode of the Courage Cast. Welcome to episode 223 of the Courage Cast. I wanted to uh, share something with you that I mentioned at the end of episode 222, and that is that um, uh, I thought it was interesting that we started the Chase the Lion book, which uh, Chrissy's laughing at me when I'm reading it because uh, I'm sitting next to her and like almost every minute I'm going, whoa, or hmm, wow, hmm, wow, you know, or something. I'm making noises. And she says it's like a Saturday Night Live skit. Well, anyway, this book is making a huge impact on me and um, I can't help but share it with the courageous community because I think this book is for us. This is this kind of just depicts what my vision and my dream for the courageous community is. And so I anyway, I read um, what do numbers mean in the Bible? And uh, I read this. It's pretty powerful. JW.org has uh, the number two, meaning in a legal setting, two witnesses verify the truth of a matter. Deuteronomy 17.6. Similarly, the repetition of a vision or a statement confirms the matter as sure and true. For example, when Joseph interpreted a dream given to Pharaoh of Egypt, he said the fact that the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice means that the thing is firmly established on the part of the true God. Genesis 41.32 The dream is firmly established. It is more than sure. It is more than true. Episode 222. That's like triple sure. Triple true. Guys, so that's how I'm, that's how I'm interpreting the beginning of this series. Um, it's going to be a 20-part series, so get ready. For 20 days, we are going to go through Chase the Lion, one chapter at a time. It's that good. A Dream Within a Dream is chapter two. Ah, chapter two. Ha, ah, there they go again. Another two. <laughs> all right. I'm, uh, I'm amusing myself here, but um, you might not be amused at all. You're probably like, Eric, move on with your number two. All right. So A Dream Within a Dream is the chapter. And the beginning of the book, the beginning of this chapter talks about Orville and Wilbur Wright. And uh, in 1896, Orville was uh, very, very sick, near death, delirium. And in order to occupy Orville's days, Wilbur would read to him. So he read num- a number of books and basically read what his father had in the library. And so the uh, the book that he read was called Animal Mechanism, a Treatise on Terrestrial and Aerial Locomotion. 
By the time Wilbur finished reading that book, he had discovered his destiny. The father's fascination had become the brother's obsession, both Orville and Wilbur's obsession. Interesting, isn't it? So interesting that uh, the sickness would cause Orville to be bedridden and cause Wilbur to read this book to him. And both of them, a dream was ignited, which was a dream of the father who specifically had a specific interest in the flight of birds. He had a fascination with the flight of birds. And so um, that was a dream within a dream, right? It was the father's dream of and fascination with birds that became contagious to the brothers, which who then fulfilled that dream. Pretty powerful. And so that's when just a few short years later, Wilbur wrote a, a letter to, uh, which now is in the Smithsonian Institute, uh, informing um, them that uh, he had begun a systematic study of human flight. He asked for everything written on the subject, which wasn't much, but one book in particular, a French book, was sent to him. And the book was written by a man who, to Wilbur Wright, would later go on to say that it was like a prophet crying in the wilderness, exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. Exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. Very convicting. He goes on to say here, Mark Batterson, the author of Chase the Lion, goes on to say, what impossibility do you need to repent of? Hmm. If he is able, if God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine, like it says in Ephesians 3.20, then why are we not believing that truth? It's not just our sin that we need to repent of. It's our small dreams. The size of your dream may be the most accurate measure of the size of your God. Is he bigger than your biggest problem, your worst failure, your greatest mistake? A God-sized dream will always be beyond your ability, beyond your resources. Unless God does it, it cannot be done. But that's how God gets the glory. This book is a call to repentance, Mark Batterson says. Repent of your small dreams and your small God. It's also a dare. Dare to go after a dream that is bigger than you are. To an infinite God, all finites are equal. There is no big or small, no easy or difficult, no possible or impossible. When Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, the word impossible was deleted from our dictionary. So quit focusing on the problem, the 500-pound lion. Fix your eyes on the lion of the tribe of Judah. The impossible is an illusion. It's a lie. It's something presented to us falsely by our human eyes in our human emotions. That's me talking, not him. You know, beyond all odds, 
by 1903, four years later from writing that letter, they took flight in North Carolina. And it was science fiction back then. It was science fiction to be able to read. But, but the, the problem was that Orville was sick, but it was actually an opportunity, right? It was an opportunity. Repent of unbelief in the possibility of your dream. That's the point of that part of uh, chapter 2. Um, this, this next part, uh, he goes into the movie Inception. If you've ever watched the movie Inception, it's pretty freaky. It's uh, really quite a very intriguing movie. I've probably seen it about three or four times. And it, every time I see it, it uh, brings up something new in me. But one of the, th- one of the core parts of the movie uh, is that these, these guys have the ability to implant themselves into dreams and to change reality. Of, of, of someone inside of a dream. And you can actually go three levels into a dream. So you can go, um, they have to go three levels deep in order to change the course of something happening in real life, basically. I'm really not explaining it very well, but they basically have to go into a dream and then go into another dream within the dream and then into another dream within that dream. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty crazy, um, but uh, it, he goes into the comparison here is that um, he compares it to scripture. Okay, in the beginning, God had a dream called creation. On the sixth day, he created dreamers, you and me, right? He created man. The ability to imagine is unique to his image bearers. Imagination is a gift from God. Your dream is your gift back to God. I love this, actually. Um, we, I had actually never thought about this, but we assume that Adam and Eve would have imagined in the Garden of Eden that we would have imagined, we would have, that they would have remained in the Garden of Eden, excuse me, um, that Adam and Eve would have remained had they not eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and sinned, etc. But actually, no. God told them, before they were banished from the garden, to fill the earth and subdue it. It was an invitation to explore, to adventure, to discover, to dream. Um, They were commissioned by God to dream, to adventure, to explore. Freedom, right? Batterson goes on to say, I don't know what dream God has given you, but it's a dream within a dream called creation. It's also a story within a story called redemption. God is writing his story through you, and it always starts with a dream. You may not see yourself as a dreamer, but you are one. You have dreams that you aren't even aware of, dreams you haven't thought of as dreams. If you're a parent, for example, you have a dream. You have, you've, you even gave your dream a name when he or she was born. This is just so good, guys. I mean, this this whole part about dreaming dreams. 
allowing the Holy Spirit to pour out his dreams um, and uh, revive us is, is the point of this part. And the, then he goes into the, um, the story of David and how, uh, how David had a dream even when he was a shepherd boy and how Samuel, when he came to find the next king, obeyed his dream, which was that God said to him this, that, that he would find the next king in the home of Jacob and, uh, not Jacob, uh, I don't remember the, the name of the father, David's father, but I'm blanking out on his name right now, but he did not know or think the father didn't have the ability to see it, but Samuel did. And that, that was a really, really powerful thing. And, and then in Samuel 23, there is a list of 37 names given, uh, and it, it really is actually a who's who list. Um, these are David's best friends, his closest confidants. These are mighty men, and they really formed a dream team. A lot of us think that David did it alone. A lot of us kind of have this romantic image that David conquered all of these things alone. But the truth is, he had a band of brothers. He had people, I mentioned this in the last episode, mighty men were drawn to a dreamer with a God-sized dream. See, they, they, they were drawn to his dream, but his dream could not have been made a reality unless he helped inspire them to dream their own dream, which was to take part in his. It's kind of cool. I love that. So it's a team effort. Beniah helped David fulfill his destiny. Beniah is the one who killed the lion in the pit. Helped David fulfill his destiny, and David became the king of Israel. But it was a two-way street. David helped Beniah's dreams come true, too. When the crown was passed from David to his son, Solomon, 40 years later, Beniah was promoted from bodyguard to commander-in-chief of Israel's army. It was David's dream that set up Solomon as king of Israel, but it was Solomon who fulfilled his father's dream of building a temple in Jerusalem. So the same thing was passed on. It's a legacy. My dream isn't my legacy. My dream is my father-in-law's legacy. My dream was birthed on January 7th, 1996, is what uh, Batterson talks about. He he shared also a, a really nice story about his family and how his family heritage had actually dreamed the dreams uh, before him, that our dreams predate us. They were born long before we were. Our dreams post-date us. They make a difference long after we are gone. Powerful. And this really, really spoke to me, this part of the book here. We're, we're nearing the end of chapter two. His whole point in all of this discussion is, my dream is a dream within a dream within a dream. And so is yours. Your dream has a genealogy. Those of you who are doTERRA builders, your dream has a genealogy. Honor your upline. Your dream also has progeny. Empower your downline. Upline meaning the people who've gone before you. Downline being the people who come after you. 
And remember, your life is one subplot in God's grand narrative, the story arc of redemption. That's his grand narrative, redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. But all of the stuff had to happen in the Old Testament before we got to Jesus. And all the things are happening now after Jesus. And it's all part of his redemptive plan. Uh, it's uh, so good. So your dreams are, are part of a greater dream that God has for the world. And, um, and then he finishes here uh, with this, a few great lines that, uh, that I really, really like. Because he talks about how he um, feels prompted, the author feels prompted to be in, the church needs to be in the marketplace. We need to be in the marketplace of ideas. We need to infiltrate the, 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 uh, the world. We need to be infiltrators of the world. We don't need to be retreating into our little corners of, of safety. We need to be out and about and uh, proactively engaging with culture, engaging with the world and the economy and the marketplace. And uh, he goes on to talk about uh, this part of the book of how they felt a calling to turn theaters into churches and also then return when the, when the time of being in that theater is over to turn that church, turn that church back into a theater in a redemptive way, um, giving it a new name and um, leaving it better than it was. Too often the church complains about culture instead of creating it. The energy we spend on criticism is being stolen from creativity. We need fewer commentators and more innovators. And then this is Michelangelo's maxim. I've never heard this before, but I love it. Criticize by creating. Quit complaining about what's wrong and do something that makes a difference. Hello? That is good criticized by creating. I'm tired of hearing people boycotting this and speaking a negativity about this and complaining about this. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? All you're doing is talking. Remember, God doesn't say well said. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. So quit complaining and start creating. Start creating. Write a better book. Start a better business, create a better product, run a better campaign, draft a better bill, produce a better movie. Talks about a missed opportunity when in the 1930s, a producer at 20th Century Fox wrote a letter to all the presidents of Christian colleges asking him to send him screenwriters. And one president wrote back and said he'd sooner send his young people to hell than send them to Hollywood. Short-sightedness, isn't it? Missing of an opportunity. If that sort of thinking had been done, there never would have been a fulfillment of a dream within a dream within a dream that started back in the 1960s for the National Christian Church, National Community Church, excuse me, to meet in theaters. He goes on to talk about his personal story about that, how that was really first birthed in the 1960s for him. And so I guess the finishing part of this is the story God is writing through your life is someone else's subplot. Someone else's subplot. The dream within a dream. Knowing that there are there were dreamers that came before you that birthed something that you can then take 
and turn it into something greater and further that dream, which is all part of the subplot that God has working in your life of redemption. Redemption. So what I take away from this is that the dream that God gives me, the big dream, the lion that I'm going to chase, the big problem that I'm going to see as an opportunity will in some way have a play a role in God's bigger story of redemption, that there will be looking for clues as to what might have come before you to understand what the, what the legacy is that you're, that you've come from, you know, who, who had similar dreams ahead of you, who can be a coach or a mentor or a role model, or um, who came before you, what can you learn about them? as it relates to this dream. What did they do right? What did they do wrong? Where did their dreams stop? Where did their their part of the journey end? And where are you picking up? And then where is it going? What kind of a legacy will it lead? Now that's something you won't know fully, maybe until many, many years in the future. So I love, I love this chapter. Love this book, Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson. Thanks for going through it with me. This is fun. Uh, and uh, talk about it in the Courageous Community, episode 223. And I look forward to interacting with you guys on this. Well, that's it for me, friends. I'm Eric Nordoff, and you're listening to The Courage Cast. Courage Cast.